Hey everybody, how's it going? Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast here on YouTube, currently with you, streaming, but also with you if you are listening via the audio platforms as well. Yeah, that, that intro didn't really flow, did it? Anyway, welcome to the show. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Hope you're all having a really good Monday so far. Always better Mondays, aren't they? After an Arsenal victory. Nothing to complain about, nothing to moan about. Just a 5 nil win uh, to enjoy. Uh, the transfer window is heading towards its conclusion. Not long to go now. I think about nine days remaining of the window, which means that if anybody's going to do any major business, they need to get on with it. I've said all along that I don't think Arsenal will do anything major. And so you might be joining this stream, looking at the title of the video and thinking, why is he talking about strikers? To be clear, I'm talking about for the summer, because I really, really do believe that even though the likelihood of Arsenal going out and signing a top striker now is is very unlikely, I do think that that is a priority come the summer. And I do think that come the end of the season, when things are a little bit easier and we're not as restricted by the profit and sustainability stuff. And we've had the opportunity to sell some of our homegrown players, especially who are currently finding themselves on the fringes, on the periphery of the side. I think we're going to go out and we're going to invest big in a centre forward. Who should that centre forward be? Now, we've been talking a lot about Ivan Tony, who returned, of course, to action this weekend for Brentford, scored a goal as well, albeit a controversial one. Maybe we'll touch on that a little bit later on. There's been talk about Borja Mayoral during this window, the Hatafe striker. There has been talk about Victor Osimen, whose release clause is said to be around about 105 million euros. There's been talk even about Dusan Vlavic, a player with whom we've been linked in the past. But I've got another name to throw into the mix. Now, let me be clear. This is not because I know Arsenal are interested or because I've heard anything to that effect. This is purely me throwing a name out there of a player that I've seen quite a lot of this season and a player that I think might be a good fit. Now, there is only one problem with the idea of going after this particular player, which we'll get onto a little bit later on in the programme. But I'm telling you, this is a player that if you don't know too much about, you should take a look at. Because I think this is a player with all the raw attributes to go on and be over the coming years one of the most deadly centre-forwards in European football. If he's not already that, he's not really that young. He's 26 years old. And come June, he'll be 27. But he's around about the same age as Ivan Tony. So if Ivan Tony is seen by a lot of people as a good fit, why can't this man? And the man I'm talking about is the Ukrainian striker, Artem Dovbik, who currently plays his football over in Spain, for the league leaders, Girona. We'll get into why I think he might be the answer for Arsenal moving forward. But there's also a major problem, a major roadblock that I believe Arsenal would face if they were to go into the market to try and sign this man. We'll get onto that as well. Let's say a few hellos to those of you in the live chat. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Uh, who have we got with us? We have got uh, Moss, we've got times with JR who says, 
Don't forget, everyone in the chat, smash that like button. Fanatic game at the weekend. Time to focus and the time to take some work on more set pieces. And Martin Odegaard can use his arms to signal. Uh, we've got Tom. We've got Fuad. Uh, we've got Eric. Um, we've got uh, Temi. We've got Sergi. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Hacker says, ooh, transfer links. Let me be clear. I'm not saying that we're going to do this during this window. I'm not saying that at all. I'm thinking ahead now. It is a time where there is a major focus on transfers. We're in the transfer window. If you haven't caught our review of the game against Crystal Palace, it is the last full-length video that you'll find on the channel. And if you're listening on audio, well, it's the last podcast in your feed. So do check it out. I think you'll enjoy this one. It's the first one in a few weeks where we weren't moaning, we weren't complaining. Why? Because we had nothing to moan and complain about. Uh, the Geordie Gunner says, is this another episode of the Chronicles of an Uber? No. I got an Uber home last night from the Football Writers Association dinner. And the driver was very polite, very good, very um, polite and, and and all the things that you, very courteous, all the, all the things that you want your driver to be. He was brilliant. And I've got to be honest, like I know I was ranting and raving about the Uber driver the other day. I get Ubers probably, I reckon, with the way work is and the fact that I'm always in a rush trying to get from one place to another, I probably get Ubers maybe five, six times a week. And most of them, most of them are amazing, reliable, on time pick you up from where they say they're going to pick you up, can't do enough for you once you get in the car, all the rest of it. It was just that one geezer the other day. He got right under my skin. Anyway, uh, let's do a bit of analysis then on uh, Artem Dovbik, uh, the Ukrainian striker that I'd quite like to see Arsenal move for in the summer. Now, you might be thinking, who is this guy and why is Harry so big on him at the moment? Let me share with you his profile over on transfermarked.com to begin. So he is uh, 26 years old, Ukrainian international. He's got seven goals in 23 caps for the Ukrainian national team as well, which makes him um, experienced and, and very effective at that level too. Now, take a look at this. These are his La Liga stats at the moment. He plays for high-flying Girona and he has got 14 goals and six assists in 20 La Liga appearances this season. He has participated directly in 39% of their goals, despite having only played 66% of their minutes overall. He's not even been in the starting lineup every single time he's been available. Now, he did have a calf injury, um, which uh, kept him out of the game against Athletic. Uh, back in November. But other than that, um, he's been pretty available. Started the season not playing full 90 minutes. You can see there uh, the first game, match week one, 26 minutes against Real Sociedad, but he got himself a goal in that one. 18 minutes against Hetafe, 27 against Sevilla, uh, just under half an hour against Las Palmas. And then gradually he started to build it up. But even once he got into the kind of starting 11, he wasn't always finishing the 90. So maybe that's a concern. Maybe that's something that people might look at. Even 
in the recent weeks, if you go back over the course of what the last, you know, six weeks of the La Liga season, only 73 minutes in the win against Sevilla. But to be fair, they were 5-1 up. Um, only 67 minutes in the nil-nil draw with Almeria. Uh, only 67 minutes against Atletico Madrid. Uh, only 64 against Real Betis. So is there a concern about his ability to finish a game? Maybe. Um, not sure if if that's something you'd buy into or read into. He obviously joined um, Girona from uh, Dnipro in the Ukraine. Here's his history. Uh, on August the 6th, he signed for Girona uh, for a fee of around about 7.7 .7 million euros. Prior to that, he spent some time uh, at Michelin as well. Um, and uh, Sonda Yisk, I think that's how you say the name. Uh, of that team. Um, but yeah, look, he, he's come into European football. He's come into Spanish football fairly recently, um, last August, and he's making a massive impact already. If I take you over to FB Ref, and I want to show you some statistics there as well, because that goes in a little bit deeper. That gives us just a little bit more uh, insight into the player. And I like the comparison stuff that they do. I find it really, really kind of good um, to look at. Let me zoom in a little bit on this so that you can see it better. So this is Artem Dovbik's scouting report. And this is over the last 365 days. Now, you see at the bottom there, the player, in order to figure out which percentile he lays in um, for all of these things, he's compared to men in the big five leagues, the UEFA Champions League and the UEFA Europa League over the last 365 days. And this is based on 1,244 minutes played. Now, this is, of course, powered by Opta. For those of you that aren't familiar with this, because I haven't always been familiar with this kind of stuff, when we talk about the percentiles, it means that he is, if he's in the 98th percentile, it means he's better than 98% of the other players that are being put into this that comparison, that are factored into this comparison in this particular area. So you look at non-penalty goals, 0.8 per 90 minutes, just under one goal per 90 minutes, non-penalty goal, that is. That puts him in the 98th percentile. Non-penalty XG, 0.62 goals he's expected to score per 90. That's what his XG looks like. He's in the 91st percentile. Shots total, he manages about 3.26 shots on goal per 90 minutes. Now, the interesting thing about this is that that puts him in the 78th percentile, which actually isn't like majorly high. It's not anything really to shout about. But the fact that he's got a shot total that is relatively low in comparison to some of the other elite strikers that you would you know, throw into the mix when, when doing this comparison. He's got a pretty good non-penalty XG and his non-penalty goal rate is incredibly high, which says that he's pretty clinical, isn't he, when those opportunities come his way. Now, there's loads of stuff that you can look at here um, in terms of touches, um, you know, in and around the penalty area, 7.16 per game, per 90, that is. That puts him in the 96th percentile. Also pretty high up in terms of clearances as well. So he clearly helps Girona when it comes to defending um, set pieces, especially because of his size. If I flick back now 
and we have a look at sort of the guy's physical stature, you're talking about someone 1.89 meters tall. 1.89 meters. Let me just convert that into feet for those of you that prefer that. That would make him, um, hold on, 1.89 meters in feet. Here we go. Let's do one of those cool conversion websites because I'm not very good at doing this stuff off the top of my head. Uh, that would make him 6.2, just over 6.2, uh, six foot two, I beg your pardon. So he's a big lad. He's a big lad and he is very, very, very effective. And he's pulling up trees in Spain, as they say. Well, they say that here. They don't say that in Spain, but you get the point I'm trying to make here. So I would really, really like to see Arsenal move for Artem Dovbik. I think he could be the solution to Arsenal's striker problem. I think he's exactly what you want in the sense that he's very, very different to what we already have. But I also don't think he'd be lost in our system or completely disconnected from our system because I think he's got so many strong attributes that, you know, would would instantly improve our team. You talk about Kai Havertz playing as that centre forward, and I've said that quite a bit. But, you know, Kai Havertz is missing some of the elements that you need or require from a top, top striker. So Artem Dovbik, for me, feels like he could allow us to go very direct. He's got great power, um, great at carrying the ball, uh, very, very direct in everything he does. And if I were Arsenal, I would be looking at this player because I think he is someone that is A, I've got to be careful what I say here, attainable in the sense that he currently plays for Girona, but B, somebody that would tick a couple of boxes. So, you want a clinical finisher, somebody that's a killer in front of goal. Artem Dovbik is that. But you also want somebody that's going to be able to do all the link-up stuff, that's going to be able to bring others into the game in the way that Gabby Jesus has done over the last year and a half, that's seen Arsenal improve dramatically. Would somebody like Artem Dovbik come to Arsenal and be you know, too big to say, and I don't mean physically, but in terms of where he's at in his career, is he one of those people that would demand, um, you know, that he starts every week? I think Artem Dovbik would have the humility to come to a club like Arsenal and say, I've got to earn my place here. Hacker makes the point about his wages as well in the live chat. He can't be on mega wages at Girona. Now, of course, when he makes that next move, because I think it's inevitable that it happens, He's going to want a pay rise. He's going to want to be rewarded for the fact that he's been so effective for Girona in this last, you know, few months. I also accept that the sample size with Artem Dovbik is not that big because he hasn't really been on the European football scene for a very long time. But everybody keeps talking about Girona. Everybody keeps talking about their story. Everybody keeps talking about the fact that they are rivaling Real Madrid for the La Liga title this year. Well, Artem Dovbik is a massive, massive part of that. I would love Arsenal to go out there and get him. I would love Arsenal to take a gamble on him. I would love Arsenal to bring somebody in of his profile. Somebody who, as I say, would bring you the physicality, the directness, the cold-blooded killer instinct that you need in front of goal sometimes, but also the ability to just approach games and approach issues when it comes to breaking down low blocks that little bit differently. I think Artem Dovbik could well be 
the solution to Arsenal's striker problem. The only issue is that Girona, of course, are a part of the City group. Now, that, that might be the brick wall that we hit if indeed we decide to go after this player. Does the fact that Girona are part of the City group make them unlikely to sell to Arsenal? Maybe not. But will it mean they demand a far more significant fee? Will it mean that they aren't as sort of uh, cooperative in negotiations, even if the player wants to come? Will they be thinking about their big brother club, Manchester City? That would be my only concern with trying to do this deal. Based on everything I've seen of the player, I think he'd be a good fit. I really, really like him. Really like him. But the Girona ownership situation, the connection they have to Manchester City and the rivalry that we have developed with Manchester City in recent times, you know, they've given us players before and they've seen us, you know, elevate our team to a whole new level to the point where we threatened to take their Premier League title away from them. Okay, they came back and they managed to get over the line in the end. But Manchester City will not want to be strengthening Arsenal in any way, shape or form. And people will say, well, Girona is a separate entity and is run completely separately and all the rest of it. But that link is there. And if Manchester City don't want this deal to happen, I'm sure they could uh, put the cat amongst the pigeons. So that's why I'm not getting character uh, carried away, I beg your pardon, about the idea of signing Artem Dovbik. Again, this is not based on any information I know. This is not based on any reports that I've seen floating around. This is me thinking long and hard over the course of the window so far about who I'd like Arsenal to move for in the summer. I know we're not going to sign a big-name striker in this window. But I also know that we could really do with one. We could really do with an alternative option at centre-forward. It looks like we're going to sell Eddie in the summer. It looks like we're probably going to sell, um, you know, Reese Nelson, possibly Emil Smith-Rowe, depending on how the rest of the season goes for him, which will raise funds. And it is my belief that the centre-forward position is one that Arsenal are looking to make a significant investment in come the summer. So why not think about the future? Why not try and get your ducks in order? If Artem Dovbik continues on this trajectory, there are going to be a whole host of clubs looking at him come the summer. Why not steal a march on them if you think he's the right man? I think he's got a lot that we could really, really benefit from. I really, really do. That's my take on Artem Dovbik. Let me know what you think in the live chat. We're going to take a really short pause. When we return, we'll bring you the latest on Emil Smith-Rowe. We'll bring you the latest on Declan Rice and Gabrielle's injuries. And we will take some of your questions from the live chat. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the program. We've been talking Artem Dovbik, the Girona striker. I would love to see um, join Arsenal come the summer. But I also know that this is something that is maybe wishful thinking on my part. I've just, as I say, I've been thinking long and hard about who we could get, who we could 
move for? Who would represent an alternative? Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Um, to Ivan Tony, who constantly seems to be linked, but just to me feels way too expensive. Artem Dovbik feels like one of the players that we should at least be considering. Let's dive into the live chat. Let's take a few of your thoughts on this before we move on. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Moss says, Brighton are already saying that Ferguson is going to be 100 million. Um, Brighton bought the best young left back in the world, uh, Barco Valentin from Boca Juniors. Look, Brighton are, are notoriously good at picking up these players. You know, they're, they're brilliant. They're brilliant at doing that and then turning them over for a profit. That's what Brighton do. It's what their model is all about. Um Andrew says, how many goals has he scored with his head? I don't think that many, you know, um, on Artem Dovbik. I haven't got that stat in front of me. But, you know, it, it go back to go back to last night or the weekend's game where Girona beat Sevilla by five goals to one, I think. Look, he's a player that I've I've seen a lot of over the course of this season and I've been keeping close tabs on. And I watched the way that Girona tore Sevilla apart. Now, I know Sevilla aren't a great side and they've had a lot of problems this season, but just watch how dominant Dovbik is. Watch how composed he is in certain situations. Look at how well he finishes. And the st the statistics say, oh, 14 goals, six assists in 20 La Liga games this season. You can't really ask for much more than that. Uh, Moss says, feed the Dovbik and he will score very direct Powerful player, fits the Premier League. Uh, Moss would like to see Jonathan David come as well. You, you're still banging that drum. Um, Jonathan David isn't coming to Arsenal. <laughs> um, Mark Jerome says, wouldn't he be being watched by City and would they get first dibs? Yeah, um, as I mentioned, the, the ownership issue, the fact that they are all part of the same group would definitely put Manchester City in prime position should they want to take Artem Dovbik from Girona. But with Erling Haaland in their ranks, is that a deal that they'd be looking to do? Or is it a case of, it, you know, when it comes to Girona, turning him over for a major, major profit and hoping that that can help them push forward, add depth to their squad and in the end, you know, sustain the level that they've got to this season. I'm not saying they're going to challenge for La Liga every year. They're a really small club and they're punching well above their weight. But, you know, if they could sell and, and set themselves up for the future, that would go some way, wouldn't it, in terms of stabilising their position. And then from there, they can push on and try and make themselves regulars in Europe, which would in turn increase their revenue dramatically, which would benefit the City group overall. So just because... He's a good player. It doesn't automatically mean he's going to end up at Man City. And I know you're not saying that, but Man City would be somebody that we'd have to contend with if they were interested 
in this player. Uh, Benjamin says, kind of reminds me of the Naziri links from a few years ago. From what I've seen of uh, of Dovbik, and obviously we've had the benefit of seeing Naziri over a few years, but from what I've seen of Dovbik, I think he's a far more sophisticated player um, than uh, than Naziri. I think Naziri can blow hot and cold. I think Naziri is, you know, a threat in the air. Is a threat because of his power, because of his physicality. Outside of that, I don't see Naziri as being anywhere near the kind of all-round centre-forward that you'd be looking for. And maybe Dovbik isn't quite there yet, you know, and, and he's certainly not a spring chicken. He's he's going to be 27 in June, as I say, which means that you'd have to think carefully about how much you're willing to invest in him. Because if you gave him a five-year contract, for example, there is no real resale value there because of his age. You know, unless he's amazing and and the Saudi Pro League come searching for him. But you get the point I'm trying to make. And that's one of the big things that puts me off the idea of Ivan Tony as well. You know, if you're talking close to a hundred million pounds, for what it's worth, I don't think Brentford would be stuck to that figure if it, you know, came to him really pushing in the summer. But if you're talking around that summer money, because that's what we're hearing at the moment then again, you've got to factor in the age and whether there's any potential sell-on value. There clearly isn't at that age. And so you've got to be absolutely certain if you're going to spend mega, mega money that they're going to do it for you. Like Bayern Munich were fine spending a ton of money on Harry Kane at this age because Harry Kane is a sure thing. Harry Kane is that good a striker that you know he's going to come in. He isn't going to have problems adapting. He isn't going to take time to get off the ground. He's he's going to be there to help you and there, as a difference maker, from the minute he walks in the door, Artem Dovbik, you wouldn't know if he's going to be that. And so, like, when I talk about deals, like I talk about players like this that may be just a little bit less fashionable in the eyes of the wider world, it's because I think they'd be a good fit, but I, I don't know for certain. I think they would. So the fact that you would have that uncertainty around them and the fact that it's difficult to say that they're a sure thing would dictate how far you go in terms of what you spend on them. So that's um, that's that's my take on that. Um, another player that's been talked about quite a bit, uh, MM mentions Victor Gyokares from Sporting, obviously was at Coventry City, and then, um, then obviously uh, made his way over to uh, Lisbon, where he's playing really, really well for Sporting. Again, you know, another good player. You know, another powerful striker, strong striker, and someone that I think a lot of Premier League clubs will be eyeing, eyeing up, um, of course, uh, come the summer. Victor Gyokares as well is younger. Uh, he's just 25 years old. When you look at his uh, record this season, you're talking 13 goals, seven assists in 17 um Portuguese top flight appearances, which is really, really good. He's also got three goals in five in the Europa League, three goals in two uh, in one of the Portuguese Cups and three goals in one in one of the other Cups as well. So, you know, he's, yeah, he's a top, top forward as well in terms of his outputs and in terms of what he's producing at this moment in time. I did say we were going to talk Emil Smith-Rowe um, and the reason I want to touch on that is because Fabrizio Romano has been saying that Arsenal can expect more approaches for Emil Smith-Rowe between now 
and the end of the window, but that Arsenal are only interested in a permanent deal. I think that Arsenal are adamant they're going to keep hold of Emil Smith-Rowe now. I don't think they're going to let him go between now and the end of the window, regardless of what offer comes in. Um, but I think the summer will be a point at which it's a natural point, really, isn't it, to review where he's at, the impact or lack of that he's had over the course of the second half of the season. And it will be up to him and the club to decide whether this is a relationship that continues or one that, you know, a solution is found in order to break it off and, and send everybody happy on their way. Arsenal with a bit of cash and Emil Smith-Rowe off uh, to a club where he'd be playing week in, week out. I, to my knowledge, do not know um, of Arsenal having any interest in letting him go now. So regardless of Fabrizio Romano saying that Arsenal expect more approaches, I don't think there's anything to be too concerned about because at this moment in time, Arsenal want to keep hold. Emil Smith-Rowe wants to stay put as well. I want to talk injuries because, of course, Declan Rice uh, and Gabriel both went off uh, with problems at the weekend, which isn't good news. Now, for Gabriel, it's looking a little bit more positive. Uh, Charles Watts reported earlier today that, to his knowledge, Gabriel's not having a scan or anything. There was a knock that he picked up in the first half that was just causing him a bit of discomfort in the second half. So I'm pretty confident that Gabriel will be back by the time we go to Nottingham Forest. Declan Rice, however, is due to have a scan. Don't know if it's happened already, but we haven't had any um, information on what that scan has revealed. He seemed to be signalling as he came off the pitch that he's got a hamstring problem. To be without Declan Rice now, at a time where we're without Thomas Partey still, would be a massive, massive problem for us. And it's why I've said over the last few months when people have been saying we need a striker and others have been saying, um, no, we need this, no, we need that. I've been saying we are one Declan Rice injury away from being up shit street. Hopefully Partey's back soon. There are some rumours that he could be back in the picture come next month, but you never know. You know, there's always a chance that there's a recurrence of A, the problem that kept him out or another problem arises because you're putting a bit of workload um, on your body now that you wasn't maybe uh, over the course of the last few months. I'd love for Partey to come back into the side with Rice. But if this scan brings bad news, there's a chance that we'll be without Rice when Partey returns, in which case we hope he returns quickly because we're going to bloody need him. But the fact that this is going for a scan or that a scan is required and that Everything is really hush-hush at the moment. I'm sure the scan's probably already taken place, to be honest with you. That does concern me a little bit. So I've got my fingers crossed that Declan Rice is going to be okay. Right, I'm going to take a very, very short pause. When I come back, I'm going to focus solely on your questions. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Chronicles of a <laughs> Hello, hello, hello. Um, okay, let's take some of your questions. Um, Zed Tom, this is a really good question. I haven't had any time to think about this, um, but I, I do want to think about this. He says, on the subject of a network of clubs, which Serie A club would you like to see the Cronkies buy to start our own feeder club network? It's a really, really good question. Oh, man, who would I like to see? It's a hard one. 
I'm trying to think. I, I need to think about this. I can't answer this on the spot. I'm really, really sorry, but I need to go away and think about this. I am, though, going to save this question and we'll bring it up on a on a pod over the next few days. Uh, Afsar says, I was at the Emirates and go to almost every home game. Why is the atmosphere so poor? It's definitely not as good as it was last year. There's no question about that. Not in my mind anyway. The atmosphere is definitely not as good as it was last year. And that is maybe because there's an expectation now that wasn't there. Um, there's an expectation to see Arsenal go out week in, week out and blow teams away. Last season, everything that kind of everything that kind of happened over the course of the campaign up until the end where, of course, it, it went south was relatively unexpected and people were riding that wave, wasn't there? There was enthusiasm, excitement, all of the above. And it just feels like a lot of that is 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 not there anymore, that it's been replaced with expectation, which can be problematic when it comes to an atmosphere. You see it at all the big clubs, I think, anyway. Um, the other thing is obviously the Ashburton Army have had their allocation, from what I hear, reduced and I know that you know they're not everybody's cup of tea I've never really personally understood the criticism they get I think they're trying to do a good thing but to reduce that has significantly impacted the atmosphere at that end of the ground there's always a better atmosphere at the other end of the ground I would argue and so when they were able because they had enough people to kind of really elevate it down by the clock end that would feed around the rest of the ground it would link up with what you were getting out of the North Bank and you'd have a really good positive atmosphere. But yeah, it's not been as good this season. You're not wrong to say that. And I know a lot of people get defensive when people talk about the atmosphere, but you're not wrong to highlight that or to point that out. It, it hasn't quite been the same. Although what I will say is that it was incredible last season. Like really, really as good as it's been at the Emirates Stadium since we moved there. Uh, Temiola says, is uh, Dovbik the Ukrainian Vardy? I don't know why people would compare him to Vardy. That's not the comparison I would make. Um, I think that he, you know, maybe you could say he's as prolific as Jamie Vardy was in his heyday, but like physically, they're not very similar. Um, Vardy was known for sort of his pace across the ground, getting in behind. Dovbik does have that about him, but it isn't really his his strong point so no i wouldn't i wouldn't compare those two players I, you're just trying to come up with a wise line uh, that we can use uh, eric welsh says um why are arsenal so bad at making money while being really good at spending it alex oxlade chamberlain is still our highest transfer fee at 35 million in terms of transfer fees that we received yeah look we've talked about this quite a bit i think when you make bad decisions in the transfer market over a number of years, you're not proactive in terms of renewing the contracts of the players that you want, the players that you value, the players that will bring you some kind of return down the line. You're going to have to reset everything, but that reset can take time. Like, I honestly believe that going into the summer that's coming, we have got five or six players that we could sell without significantly weakening the group, that would bring us a good return because we've been proactive in terms of when they've been playing well, giving them new contracts, all the rest of that stuff. Arsenal just weren't doing that at the same level previously. And 
that put us up shit street, unfortunately. It took us a long, long time to come out the other side of that. And hopefully come the summer, you know, we will be able to sell a few players, generate a bit more money, plus uh, factor in all the revenues that we've earned. One of the years at the back end of our profit and sustainability cycle of three years will have dropped off. That would be closer to the COVID time, which maybe gives us a little bit more wriggle room um, when it comes to our books and stuff. But yeah, look, if if going forward now, we're really bad at it. So let's say we can't get money in for Nelson. We can't get money in, um, you know, for Enketia, should we decide to sell him or Emil Smith-Rowe, if we decide to go down that route. I think then you could start asking questions about it. But I think they've spent a lot of the beginning of their tenure, Arteta and Edu, that is, trying to clean up the mess that was left before them, the, the mess that they inherited. Um. What else have we got? Uh, here we go. We got one from Halo. He says, I always think that there should be at least one quality player to cover each position. Arsenal have four number six players. And shouldn't that be enough? I mean, you can't afford to have two Declan players. Yeah. And look, some players are so outstanding that you can have a replacement. But when they're not in the team, you will still see a drop off. But as you say, how many teams? There, there isn't two Declan Rices in world football. There aren't two Rodries in world football. So you'd never be in a position where someone drops out and you've got someone equally as good. Like there'll always be some subtle differences, even some small differences in their level, but there'll always be one that is better than the other. And that's on the manager to decide who that is. But yeah, you, you know, you're, you're right. You can't have two Declan Rices. And I have this argument with people quite a bit. I've got a few friends that are, are quite, you know, they sometimes I feel like they they think that we're playing FIFA and football manager rather than this being actual real football. And they say, well, why don't you go and get so-and-so? And it's like, well, so-and-so is going to cost a hundred million pounds. And so-and-so is not going to want to make this move to play second fiddle. And it's as if, you, you know, a deal is as simple as you throwing a bit of money at something and automatically that's it. That, means it gets done. It doesn't work like that. You need all parties to agree. You need everybody to be invested in whatever deal it is that you're selling. And when that transfer happens, when that player arrives, they need to be committed and they need to be fighting for the role. In some cases, they need to understand their role as well. Like if you come in at Arsenal as a right winger, for example, you're going to know that you're playing behind Bukayo Saka. And that's why it makes it quite difficult to find a backup right winger, but people will always say, well, we should have signed another right winger. Or when it comes to the forward situation, oh, I'm not saying Jesus is no good. We just need an alternative. Okay. But it's got to be someone that is willing to come in and play that role. Like Eddie and Ketir is willing to play the second fiddle role to Gabriel Jesus, which is what part of the reason why Mikel Arteta probably sticks with him. You know, whoever comes in as a defensive midfielder isn't going to come in ahead of Rice. So it, it can be quite difficult, you know, to to kind of build that squad. And you need to be careful with regards to that dynamic and making sure that it isn't something that can have a negative impact rather than a positive one. Uh, you want competition at a healthy level, but you don't want um, bitterness, you know, infighting, all the rest of it. But yeah, anyway, um, I think I'm going to leave it there. Um, so as I mentioned, Artem Dovbik is somebody that I'd uh, I'd have a look at um, when this summer comes or ahead of the summer, try and put some plans in place. If you haven't seen much of him, go on YouTube, type in Artem Dovbik, have a little look at 
some of his goal compilations. And I think you'll agree that he'd be a pretty good fit at the Arsenal. Whether that is a deal that can be done or not, given City's um, connections with Girona, I don't know. But the transfer window and all the chat about all the players that we're not going to sign got me thinking about who we could sign in the summer. And when I started going down the striker rabbit hole, I ended up uh, coming across Artem Dovbik um, and uh, and thought that it'd be worth having a little look at him and a little look at what he could provide. I'm going to leave it there. Thank you all so much for joining me. Don't forget to leave a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. You know the drill by now. And if you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review. We will be back with another episode of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast tomorrow. Until then, take care of yourselves. All the best. Goodbye. (laughs) 